Our scholarly robes are shed once again, but this time we don robes of pristine white. We forge ourselves anew, discover some order and peace in our livelihoods, and walk the edges of twilight. I'm Mo. And I'm Austin. And today we discuss religion on today's episode of Dungeons and Brews. Welcome to Dungeons and Brews, everybody. I am Austin, and we are again so excited to be back here with another episode. I'm so happy. I'm just so happy. <laughs> I'm just so glad I'm here. Another brew. I love another... you, man. I love you, buddy. Aww. I love you. And we love all of you. Again, I know we may not have mentioned it last episode, but we are so appreciative for all the support, um, the the comments, the questions, the critiques. Uh, we've gotten all of it, and it's been very uh, helpful in helping to make both the audio sound better, the structure of the episodes better, as well as the topics that we discuss. Uh, right now, episodes six, seven, and eight that are all going to kind of be coming out, um, you know, one week after another in our normal schedule, are all recommended by you guys, the listeners. This is everything you guys have crafted. This is literally uh, stuff you have uh, jumped into our Discord, which again, follow the link in our profile here and uh, into our episode description here. But we cannot thank you guys enough. Uh, the love, the outpouring of support, the the ideas you guys have given us. Like we've had a lot of conversations not even included on the microphone. We've had several bloopers as well. We'll maybe we'll release that as a great bonus content here sometime in the future. But uh, I cannot tell you guys enough how much we've been loving it. It's just been so much fun for us to craft this. I mean, <laughs> I get a friend, uh, one of my good friends, Tom, if you're listening, but he always uh, gives us me a call, gives me a message, gives me a, a little quick little, hey, uh, episode quality sounded great in this one, or uh, would love it if you guys talked about this. But again, oh my goodness gracious. But you know, and speaking about craft, we have another craft beer yeah. to review. What don't do we, we got? Know? And today we're talking about a Griffin Claw brewing uh, the El Rojo Red Ale. I believe you've had this one, haven't you? Have you been you've been to Bre uh, Griffin Claw a couple oh, times? Oh yeah, right? Griffin yep. Claw brewing. For those of you who are in yep. Michigan, let's go ahead first and do oh. a little. A three, a two, a one. Why is this one so difficult to open? <laughs> there we go. I need Come to go on. on a training regimen. I can't even get it open. <laughs> oh buddy, you got to get to the gym a little bit. I got more Orange Theory classes. Oh. We're not getting sponsored by them. <laughs> no, <laughs> we do too much drinking on this no, no, no. podcast to but, get sponsored. Um, no, Griffin Claw, for those of you who are in Michigan, they do have a couple of like actual uh, restaurant, like brew houses. And my partner and I go there all the time. The food is fantastic and the brews are always really, really good. So I expect a lot from this. All right. Toast to you, my friend. Oh, that's magical. So good. It's so smooth. Like uh, uh, let's tell them a little bit about the beer, actually, here at Brewmaster Austin. Mm -hmm. So this is, again, a Griffin Claw Brewing Company. This is the El Rojo. It is a red eel, for those of you that are curious. Uh, ABV content here is, uh, uh, excuse me, the alcohol content is 6.5%. Uh, it kind of has, uh, it's got a little bit more alcohol content than this one, but what's the maltiness and the car kind of almost caramel finish on it is uh, bringing up to me is almost like a Newcastle, like the brown ale. Yeah. It just is almost a little lighter than Perfect on the mouthfeel. Correct. Yeah. I uh, This is uh, one of my friends and I will occasionally partake in. Uh, it's got it's got like hints of like this nice little like uh, I almost call it like almost a southern spice, mm -hmm. but it's not like spicy in that aspect. It just has like that seasoned nice season. Yeah, good way to put it. Absolutely, but you know, you know, speaking of seasoned here, Brewmaster Austin, uh, what else is currently going on in your world right now? I know we uh, last episode you told me you talked about taking the training wheels off. Mm -hmm. Have you ever, for instance, dipped your toe into? Have you, you know? Done the counterspell, by the way. You and I have mentioned this before, but every DM's dream is to counterspell the, the uh, yes, the revivify yeah. or the cure wounds or the healing word. Have you ever done that? I've wanted to talk to you about this, and we've never actually had a chance to bring this up, even off mic. Mm, no, I think, I don't think I've ever counterspelled a spell like that. I don't think there's been a position for me to. Um, a lot of the campaigns that I started out, my veteran group is would be getting to the point where I might have some monsters in a couple levels that would have counterspell. 
But most of the campaigns, like I said, I start out with a new group and then I take them through another one and the training wheels are basically on every time you're on one level one through five. I wouldn't have obviously a counterspell in there, but I've never counterspelled something like that. I have counterspelled like the fireball or a polymorph or something like that. Polymorph is one that I think players yeah. kind of rely on sometimes. Especially because, much. especially when it's the barbarian getting polymorphed into something. Mm -hmm. I So I've done that a few times, um, but I haven't had really the situation where the heel comes up, but kind of an adjacent situation is I had, as a player, I was playing a, a divine soul sorcerer and I did get to twin spell heal. Oh, that's on our barbarian fighter and fighter, like both of them. I was able to both touch both. Remind me again, that's 140 HP, isn't 100, it? Basically 140 HP. Oh yeah, my back on, god. Back on uh, the totem barbarian uh, who is who had a rage left, so he's resisted everything basically. And then we had our fighter who had like with all the magic items from the artificer was like a 24 AC. You, so the he had really the DM had really worked to cut those guys down. You basically auto healed them, yeah. like full HP. All uh, the, for the, yeah, for well, the, I mean 70 70 divided. Yeah, yeah. seventy seventy divided. Yeah. At yeah. that level, it was like almost half of both of there. I think it was a little under half for the Barbarian. But again, for the Barbarian, you know, just of how like meta calculations work, it's basically double because they're not really doing all that much psychic damage to him. So yeah. it's basically double HP for the Barbarian. Oh my God, makes me sick to my stomach, everybody. <laughs> God, your metagaming is... You've talked about it yeah. on the podcast before. It is ridiculously broken. Guys, when we start diving into some of our subclasses, exploration here... Wait till you guys see some of the stuff this man has concocted. I am making sure everyone knows. Look, you can choose <laughs> things for flavor, and that, and I, and I reward players for it. Actually, as you should, campaigns. as I you told should. you about it before off mic. Flaws are flaws are and, fun, and well, and spice, not even flaws. Like if you're like, hey, like I play a a, a monk that's the chef of of a crew in a spell jamming campaign, kind of based off of Sanji from One Piece, similar style. But I took the chef even though it's not the most optimal for me to do damage or anything like that, it really doesn't do all that much, but it's kind of like a fun, like, it's, it's, not, it's role play, right? It's not page three, it's, it's fun. HP and yeah. it's role play. Yeah. You know, it's role play. <laughs> so I do do it sometimes. It's just more often than not, I'm leaning towards scores, extra dice damage. Oh God. You know what? Let's just, let's just yeah. dive speaking in. Speaking of God. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, you know what? <laughs> a chew. Bless you. Uh, that was all set up, guys. But yes, today let's talk about the big topic at uh, hand here: uh, religion within D and D. Uh, this is another viewer requested episode here, uh, coming actually from my brother. My brother was the one who actually asked this one, and I uh, was very eager to jump into about it. And me being a former philosophy major, oh my god, did I jump into about it? So uh, at the forefront here, I know religion can be a sensitive subject for some, so I just wanted to give that forefront warning towards everyone. We are going to dive in a little bit more to Judeo-Christian beliefs. We are going to dive in to monotheistic beliefs uh, in general across the board there, uh, polytheistic beliefs again. So again, if you, you know, have a, you know, disdain, uh, not disdain, excuse me, incorrect uh, language there, but uh, just a preference not to listen to about religion, completely understand we 100% appreciate your you know your backup on this one but let's talk a little bit about religion and D&D &D go hand in hand from the creation of it from the get go mm -hmm. when Gary Gygax first crafted D&D &D within the 70s there it was it was the 70s right yeah, yeah. 70s yeah. yeah thank you yeah you're right jesus I'm losing my mind wow lots of <laughs> lots of religion hence here but uh like he based it around the way Tolkien, for instance, would talk about religion, especially what that was crafted within uh, the Lord of the Rings setting. So it's where do you start with religion in D&D? Where do you think that uh, you should start with churches or deities? I mean, let's face it. We do start with deities. Religion is based around a deity of worship. And, you know, in D&D deities are common it, it yeah. is well known that and the I gods do exist i think that's the main thing to focus on especially if you're using any of the pre-made settings so if you're using eberron you know forgotten realms those typically have a very full wide pantheon ones like we've mentioned before dark sun not so much obviously they're cut off for most things but i think the main thing for me, even when I'm creating a homebrew setting, is that there should always be a plethora of deities because that's kind of how Gary Gygax and the D and the Wizards of the Coast team designed D&D &D to be. When you look at the, the sort of um, 
transition of D and D from edition to edition. So from AD and D to two E to three E to four three point five to four to five, there's always more gods, more pantheons. More you and I gods, were talking about this off pantheons. mic too. Yeah. When we were gods, first diving gods. in into the subject, everyone, we we dove in and we started realizing at the additions that started happening from each time, from first edition to second edition. First edition had a bit, right? And there was there was a lot there. But when second edition came out and then AD&D and all that stuff started coming, you just started seeing more and more of an inclusion and representation of our our world into D&D. And you'll get an idea of the scope of it because as you guys will soon find out, um, one of the bonus episodes that was voted on by you guys will be uh, the Saladrin, which is the Elven Pantheon. And I showed Mo a little sneak peek of the one pager for that. And it you guys will love it. Two, it had to be two pages, not just because there's a plethora of lore on it, but because there are so many gods within the Elven Pantheon that I could not, e unless I literally made the font like eight with no spaces, I could not <laughs> enter in on a page that's yeah. how many deities there were. Speaking of which, guys, if you guys ever want to check these out or get a pre-release uh, schedule release for this, right now you guys will be able to get the Blood War uh, cheat sheet at the end of this episode here. Again, you'll find a link to our Google Drive where you guys can kind of see the Blood War cheat sheet that we released for our special episode topic. And But again, if you're trying to get that pre-sneak peek, go check out our Discord. Join our Discord. Uh, they always get that first little bit of a sneak peek. And maybe eventually, you know, if you guys like us enough, we'll do a Patreon you know, special. Keep them all there. Keep them all there. Yeah. But, but there is a lot of, there's a so lot of much, And so I much. think one of the easiest things to describe to you about religion in D&D is that there, from official content, there's very few, if any, true atheists in the world because everyone understands that the gods do have an effect. Like, it's very easy to see. It's not in, like, reality where we see, like, okay, like, some people might say this guy lifting this car and helping someone escape under it, adrenaline. Other people might say divine intervention. You know, you can kind of go back and forth. Whereas like in D&D, &D, you see the holy symbol light up. You see the mystical arcana. You see all of the this job stuff. of every DM to right. describe those actions. Right. Occurring the, so uh... that's when if you listen to our blood, our blood war episode on the abyss. So our part two of the bonus we talk about the wall of the faithless and that's where that comes in is that there are some who are still faithless or false, but on the whole, even if you don't worship a deity, like you don't necessarily pray to it. You understand their existence is real and affects the world. Now, mind you, that being said, we we've talked a little bit about, you know, naming and whatnot here within this podcast, but, uh, these settings and these specific gods, they're not just like, oh, we're known as Lothandrians or something like that. But they do have certain sects and certain beliefs and certain, you know, I would almost say fanatical type of, you know, worship. But uh, I just look at the uh, uh, for Church of Lothander, for instance. Uh, one of them within the Forgotten Realms is known as the Brotherhood of Glorious uh, Sun, where they believe that Lothander was a, re as a reincarnation of a previous deity. So there's a lot that exists within each of these settings. And Faerun, we could be here for hours discussing it. For, again, Forgotten Realms. But there's just so much. And right. we've derived, we've talked about some and, of the, the Dwarven pantheon right. from Faerun and that I we've included into our uh, world creation. Right. And I want to point out, before we move from like specifically talking about the sort of religious organizations is that there's pretty much a religious organization in some form for almost every single deity. If you go on to the Forgotten Realms wiki and just look and just type in Forgotten Realms wiki religious organizations, it'll pull up on Google or Bing or whatever you're using. It'll pull up. There are hundreds that you could go through. I'm looking at one right now, Eyes of the Darkbringer. They are an organization of rogues who worship Moander, which is the riding god. And basically their whole thing was that they carried out assassinations and serve like basically the overall goal of his cult. Arbiters so even... of the Quiet One, as a group of peaceful men and women devoted to Eldoth, the goddess of singing waters. Mm -hmm. There's so many here and that so we could just break one, down. One thing that I want to emphasize as we move into general religion in D&D is that D&D religions are designed to be polytheistic. Every single pantheon, each god carries with it different areas that it controls, similar to like a Roman or a Greek pantheon where like, you know, Zeus is like the god of lightning and a couple other things. Like 
um, you know, Athena, goddess of beauty and a couple other things, uh, you know, Apollo, goddess of the sun and a couple other things. A lot of the deities, a lot of the pantheons follow that. And so you might worship one deity for a good harvest and you might worship a different deity to protect you while traveling or yeah. to grant you a boon when you're selling your goods. Luck in a tournament, Luck things a like tur that. Yeah. Like There's so much here. And again, if you're always curious about some of the gods, if you go check out uh, the basic rules uh, PDF that Wizards has out for free on their website, if you go to wizards.com there, well, specifically the website, uh, uh, the uh, the one group there that we get all our D&D content from. But uh, their Appendix B in the Gods of the Multiverse section, they really break down all of the gods and in their setting. And again, some of this is in the DMG as well and the, uh, the Player's Handbook as well. Yeah. You can see what pantheon you're using and then the worship of that. And it not just does that, it tells you their alignment chart, yeah. right? And It'll tell you like chaotic evil or chaotic neutral or... And so chaotic of some moving, sort moving to i kind of want to talk about creating your own world and then the prevalence of religion generally in DD. when you create your own world i don't want you can create your own deities obviously no one's telling you not but there are hundreds if not maybe over a thousand deities between all of the settings of DD from like the beginning until now there's ones that have died there's ones that have been brought back and died again like orcus has been killed five fucking times eight million and, and he's Vecna has been wiped out from existence and been reborn. Yeah, it's, it's just we it, could be here wild. for hours talking about Vecna Mist and Orcus. Mistria, yeah. the god of magic that we talked about in the last episode, died and was and just kind of came back. Like no one really knows. Like she just kind of reappeared. Yeah. So like there, it's not a stable thing. It's no. always fluid. It's a soap opera. <laughs> there are a lot of pantheons that mirror our own mythology. So the Greek, the Greek. Um, Pantheon has Olympus. There's a plane for Olympus. It's right next to where the Elven Pantheon actually sits. Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Exactly. Yes, There's that, that is, one. That setting There's, definitely focuses uh, on the, the Greek Pantheon. I think Storm King's Thunder has some relation to uh, a more Norse mythology does, where yep. you have like Odin, Jotunheim, those things. But also there's a counter to that that Jotunheim also kind of is the place of the giant deities with the Ordning. So there's a little bit of an overlap yeah. there. But each there are some ones that you could know nothing about the other D D gods and be like, I'm gonna have my campaign setting focus on Greek gods. Done. You are good. Those are even in uh, you know, the the DMG player's handbook. They're they recognize them, they use them, they use some of the lore. They obviously change a little bit of it to be D D specific. So they reference a D D events, but you can use that. As far as religion being prevalent. I think it's really up to you and your game if you're homebrewing. If you're looking at something like Faerun, like from the Forgotten Realms, religion is almost in every single little hamlet, town, village, city. There's somebody who were there's somebody or some population of the people. Church to Calvin Warren here, yeah. a church uh, to Lothander here. Uh, a secret yeah. cult to Asmodeus here. Yeah. A secret cult to yeah. Grumsh here. Speaking of which, that's something actually, I'm glad you brought up the Asmodeus thing. That's right, guys. Imagine having a, you don't just worship you know, the good guys, right? There are cults, there are religions based around the quote-unquote evil god mm -hmm. because, you know, they've promised them wealth and power and whatever else yep. it may be. And so those yeah. might be rejected in your bigger cities, but it's not because of religion itself. It's because of the ideals that maybe it propagates, right? Exandria so, does this best. The right. Critical Role Setting yeah, does this does absolutely great. great job. Mind you, they based it around originally back in Campaign 1. Like They used the Raven Queen. They, they didn't right. call and her the Mask think, of Ravens. I, yeah, That's actually a great reference because in Campaign 1, when they first go to... Spoiler. Uh, spoilers, yeah, guys. Spoilers, big spoiler. Yeah. Give us like we're going to say two minutes on the spoiler. So if you want to don't hear the spoiler, fast forward two minutes. Yeah, if you, if you want to watch Campaign 1, mind you, it's like 400 hours deep but you'll be fine yeah, yeah. Uh, but the so in campaign one they go to whatever uh, valheim right mm -hmm. the the big or whatever it's called right it's a valheim. yeah yeah uh, it's, uh, it's something along those lines yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. but whatever they go to the big city there's a bunch of deities there like cult uh, not cults but like religious organizations there there's one for the raven queen there's one for bahamut there's one for uh what's pike's deity um Oh, um, the light, the bringer. silver dragon. Yeah, one. the light bringer. I just remember yeah. her name is the light, light bringer, bringer for yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like they have it, and they all work somehow in concert together. There's really not a lot of infighting in there because in D and D, especially for cities, a lot of the cities, the 
the pantheons and their supporters kind of mirror at least the alignments of each other. Yeah. So while the Raven Queen is technically like a more neutral deity, they see it as it's like, oh, it's a natural part of nature, right? It doesn't really conflict with Bahamut or, you know, Lothander, or it really doesn't too often conflict. Whereas something like Asmodeus or Grumpsh or, you know, Maglubiet or something like that would clash with that. And that's really where you see the separation of the different religious entities is that ones in like a city like Waterdeep are kind of all going to go around the same sort of things. Whereas, you know, maybe if there is a, a city like uh, what's it's like uh, Al Alcathir, Alcathar, it's in the southern, it's in the region of Arn uh, in the Forgotten Realms. It's like a city of yes, palace. yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, it's the might ones, have, yeah. they might have ones to the other deities, like we were talking about with like Moander. They might have ones to like a more greedy or nefarious or cunning deity, like maybe Siric. There's a god. I I can't remember it off the top of my head, but there's a god of thieves. Yeah, god of thieves. Uh, yeah, there's a god of thieves. There's, exactly. There are there are so many. Hit in Skyrim. Yeah. Yes. Very true. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. Mm -hmm. But there's so many hints at these larger settings here, guys. So, like, take a look at them. But again, religion plays such a heavy role within D and D. And again, we talked about how it's included within Lord of the Rings and things like that, and how it's included within your setting also matters. Speaking of which, there, Austin, what is the setting? I know. Again, you told me before that you are playing here on the podcast. That you are playing within your own settings of Forgotten Realms and that you're doing a Spelljammer campaign. Have you guys encountered any type of religion within yes. that setting? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So yeah. the one that I did the boss battle for, I know we referenced it in like episode two, um, <clears throat> that one was based on a corrupted bishop of the Church of Lothander. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was when they already were thrown in. Like religion usually plays a big role in my campaigns. And one of my players had some... And I don't want to say trauma, but like had some like kind of gripes with religion and wanted to kind of explore overcoming that. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Camp. I know what you're so, talking about now. Yeah. And so with that, you know, you can, I used a religion very prevalently, but look, like there are people, there was somebody who was very much worshiped the, you know, the platinum dragon and very much a good cleric that they ran into that helped them a lot. And then there was this corrupted bishop who like twisted the Lothander teachings and was kind of using, you know, dark rituals and things like that to battle darkness and all that stuff. So religion plays a huge thing. They've also come across that Siric is involved. He's a very, I'm not going to go into him. You could spend a whole episode. He's cool. Look him up. He's like off. He's the, one of the only gods that AO the like overarching over daddy. Over, God. Yeah. The basically, he's the, basically the creator of the gods the creator and of just of the universe of itself. Yeah. Has basically said it was a mistake that he would not repeat. Like yeah. that's how messed up Siric is. So you can kind of see that religion plays into everything. I mean, there are so many events and things like that. I usually do have religion involved unless I don't have any sort of religious character in there, right? So if I have a ranger who's like just kind of a ranger to be a ranger and not like devoted to like maybe one of the gods of the wild or something or no paladin or no cleric, it might take a back seat. I might mention it, right? I might have like, oh, you know, there are temples here and things, but I'm not going to make it a forefront if my players' characters don't have any connection or don't want a connection to it. It'll be more of a background thing, but it will still be prevalent in almost any major town or city. So for me, I've done something similar to kind of like that, right? I Again, I'm off mic and I will not describe to you on mic because that would be spoiler territory for my current campaign uh, that I'm running for my players right now. But I would... I would say that I've crafted a world in which religion is is there and exists and they could they could peek into it. Quick quick pause. Yeah. Ten seconds for my critical role spoilers again. Vasselheim. Vasselheim. That was the name of That's it. That's it. You're right. You're and right. Critical role spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> it is Vasselheim. And it's still very prevalent yeah. because it's the oldest city. Yeah. I, that's what it was. Yeah. So now that you say it, I remember it's yeah. the oldest city within the Alexandria setting. But like I've in my world, for me, it was it was uh, rough when I looked at the religion because I didn't just pick a pantheon. I picked multiverse in my world. So I made it very, dare I mention the word hypocritical, right? How many gods of death exist in my world? A lot. A lot. A lot. Raven Queen, she's a, technically a god of, a goddess of death. Jergal, one of my uh, players, yep. plays as uh, a worshiper towards Jergal. Moore. Yeah. Again, these Orcus. are there's there's things that I've invented where players could uh, dive into it or they can't. So I leave it up 
to them. Again, what they what they want to do or what they want to explore, I think is the biggest thing of all. And again, religion being such a big prevalent thing and not just, you know, D&D, but in our world in general here. And before it, we switch over to world creation, I do want to get some some pros cons. You said my words. Some pro cons for. Yes, absolutely. So I know we've talked a lot about there's a lot of, especially in the published settings there's a lot what are the pros I'll let you do, and I'll let you decide actually you can decide we're going one of us is going to talk on pros one of us is going to talk on cons what are the pros of having religion heavily involved and what are the cons sure um pro to having religion involved I'll just go with this for now. I mean, we can bounce back and forth. A pro for having religion involved you can explore a character's uh dreams sequences i think especially if you do have a worshiper uh, a cleric in your party you could dive into that a little bit more i mean i've used the instance of uh, the dream sequence being a revelation of sorts which is again very intertwined to the way that you know people create in our world as well and how many much of the mythos in our world you know judeo-christian beliefs there in which i you know, not to get specific here, but, you know, someone being commanded to read with who cannot read, but all of a sudden can read. Right. Again, I know, again, we're diving into a very sensitive topic here, guys. So, again, if you're completely just offended by it, I, I apologize. Just ignore this next segment. But, again, look into it and see how it connects into your uh, into your world. A con for having religion evolved there, Austin. Yeah. What so, would you say? A, a con for having religion, especially with how prevalent it is in D&D especially the Forgotten Realms, I'll focus Forgotten Realms specifically because yeah. I use that setting most, is that I feel like sometimes it will yank away the achievements of the individual and attribute them to the god. Yeah. So there are a lot of very prominent individuals like Morning Canaan and these other things. And they obviously, there's always reference in his achievements to like, well, he was favored by Mistra or he was favored by this or favored by that. And I feel like sometimes let let the badass character be the badass character, right? Not every character needs to be favored by the gods. I kind of like that almost Odyssean overcoming of oh the gods, God, yeah. right? Oh my and God, And I feel yeah. like a lot of times with the official lore, I mean, there are exceptions, right? But more often than not with the official lore, there's always some god that favored them in that. And I, I don't necessarily like it. I, I want, sometimes I want that character who's like, look, I'm not really getting into the gods and their their shit, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. I want them to succeed and have their achievements be their own. Now, if the character or the person or the player character is like very much subscribing to a religion, that's fine for the glory sort of to be kind of ordained onto the God. That's completely fine. I just worry that sometimes there's such a, um, like a hyper saturation of gods that, the individuals lost a little bit again D, D and religion go very hand in hand and and it's a great way to explore traumas overcome can be. i've had a lot of i've had a lot of players who do have religious trauma from whatever religious background they came from and a lot of people after playing in i can campaign, relate i can tell them yeah. i can outright without including my own biasness i can relate yeah. and it can and be very it tough. can be very therapeutic yeah. to not only to have the religion be the bad guy but also to have characters that truly actually represent the actual ideals of the deity right so Correct. like if you have someone who's worshiping like the platinum dragon actually being a good and giving soul like all the time not just like when it suits them so there are ways for it to be a thing but to move on to a little bit of a less stern and maybe downer topic for some people let's talk world creation everyone's favorite game show where you turn your brain into mind flare mush and let your two charismatic charming voices with the choices dms design a world with a little input from you so if you guys where did we leave off i'm sorry i completely forgot where did we leave off there brewmaster austin and don't worry i was already planning on giving you a recap mode <laughs> uh with last time we basically focused on the interplay of the four main factions in our town of Karimal. I do believe so. I'm from so what we, I've got written here, populist party. We have the merchants. Mm -hmm. We have the Snickers. And yep. again, they're more crown based. Mm -hmm. And then we also have the, the blacksmithing guild as well. The kind of being represented there. And, and we I, came up with our rulers for each, your favorite gnome. Pooknik. Pooknik. My man. Uh, we came up with uh, Be Berges. Was that what you called? I believe so, yeah. Berges. Uh, yeah, Begaius, Berges, yeah. The Begaius. Yeah, Begaius, Begaius the yeah. displacer. Yep. Um, Helena. 
the uh, Helena Goldleaf, yep. uh, and then Honar. And I like just leaving the giant as Honar. It's very cool. I, yeah. I, I said that the H would be silent, yeah. Brewmaster Austin, so Honar. Oh, okay. But uh, Honar, Honar works. I like Honar. I, I like feel Honar. like it also would be like a sore sensitive subject for him. It's pronounced Honar. I think, yeah, it's actually great. I like that. I like, <laughs> yeah. hate when people mispronounce his name. I yeah. love See? that as a character flaw. Again, a character flaw. Lawful, Again, we, we, lawful though. Lawful. It's very lawful. 100%. 100%. There's a way to pronounce it. You must pronounce it. Devotion to the king. It works. I love it. <laughs> so <laughs> we went through all of that. I want to play in this setting so bad. <laughs> I'm going to be a former snicker that I decided to rebel against the crowd. If you want me to DM it, I'm more than happy to do so. Well, we um, want our players to help us craft this world a little bit more there, Brewmaster Austin. So where were you thinking this time here? Okay, so... I know we still want to focus a little bit more on Caramel as a whole, right? kind of. But I, again, because a lot of the things that I'm kind of crafting for it are things that we've already discussed. So if you remember from our original... Character, uh, campaign creation. We talked about how important blacksmiths and these other buildings are. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of them in here. There's going to be multiple, like five, six, seven, eight. So I'm not going to go through and be like, we're going to have a, a world creation and list all of the NPCs for this. It's like, okay, you can do that. We've given you the tools with Fantasy Generator, with the parts of the DMG to create a base NPC name and one maybe character or two character traits or flaws that make them that, that way guide your interaction, right? So what I want to focus on again is more of the overall interaction of everything. And I think we've reached the point where our world is fleshed out enough, not fully, but enough that we should name the realm, name at least the kingdom, and maybe give like some ruling family, some dynamics of maybe with the neighbors, that kind of thing, an overarching thing to kind of give us a more complete picture of what's going on, right? So with that, I think the first thing we should try to do is naming the kingdom. So Hershey, we Hershey, we're naming it Hershey. I, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So the I'm sorry. The, I'm so down still for the, the candy based aspect of I it here. It. I so it. I'm just leaning or we could pronounce or it could be H-E-R apostrophe because when you add an apostrophe, yeah. you really get to spice things up. Hershey. 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 I like Hershey. So <laughs> the, Lake king, the kingdom of Hershey yeah. with the capital of Alamand. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> that is surprisingly extremely satisfying in my brain right now. You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh my God. So the king. Wow. So, so there you go. We now have the Chef's kingdom, kiss, baby. We have the kingdom of Hershey and the, and the capital city of Alamant. Again, we'll go into doing some stuff with the capital city on a later time. I want to point out that the reason that I'm shying away from doing more with like the city and some more villages and things is that in my experience as a DM with the populations that we have with these first three areas, levels one to about eight, nine, maybe 10 can be done in this area. Oh, it's yeah. a region. It's a massive region. We can create a bunch of places of interest. So maybe, um, I think maybe next episode, like next care, uh, creation episode, I might do some places of interest, like maybe some old dungeons and things that might have been left from civilizations long ago or the abandoned, or abandoned bastions for defenses. The ancients. I've made. always referred to them as the ancients. ancients. Any Anything that existed pre-current uh, pre history. That being said, guys, I do want to let you guys know. I Don't worry. We're going to dive back in here into it uh Brewmaster Austin, but you and I have discussed this. We are going to actually create this world where you guys can see a map of it. Now, we are currently trying to craft out the more finer details that we want to do, but we're going to use the incarnate world creation system here, uh, and we're going to let you guys see it. Mind you, it's not going to be like specific. We're not going to have like fountains of chocolate, but it will give you kind of an idea of the land masses around. Uh, again, we're probably just going to do a region map here. We're not going to do a full continent yeah, map. Right, not exactly. yet. So that, again, we I haven't decided do, that yet. All I want to do with before we narrow our scope back in is we know we have a kingdom. Is do Does the kingdom have neighbors? Yes or no? And here's how I decide. I don't like to just be like, oh, it always has neighbors. I take a, my good old handy dandy little, any dice really will do, but a d20 and I will roll a odd or even. But before that, I believe we have a dice battle. Dice battle! I rolled a natural one. 
17. Mo is in the lead. Is that the first natural one rolled out of us in the dice battle? I think so. I think it is. I am going to keep track of that. If you happen to hit three, Brewmaster Austin, three natural ones or three natural 20s, either a wish or a punishment. punishment. Yes. I love it. I, love I don't know what we're crafting yet, but we'll, we're we'll come up with it stuff. later. Yes. <laughs> um, so the way I like to do my, um, my if they have neighbors or not, is I basically like to roll a, uh, a D4, right? And I will determine uh, the direction of any neighbors after I decide if there are neighbors, right? So I'm going to take a D6 here. I'm going to roll and I'm going to say evens. We're going to have neighbors, right? Odds, no neighbors. Okay. Odds, no neighbors. So this is like we are imagining there's probably some either natural barrier or great expanse of land that is keeping them away. So right now, what does that inform you as a dungeon master? There's there's a, there's there's terrain. There's some sort of terrain first also, of all. Also, it's an internal conflict the players are going to start out with. Because there get. is no outs, direct outside threat. So you know that level 1 you're going to be dealing with some inside internal conflicts that might be then related to forces trying to overcome whatever great expanse, magical barrier, mountains, whatever it is water it could be an island it could be a small island in a series of an archipelago like you what how about we leave it up to the players to we decide leave it up to the players how about that how about this in the bottom of this uh this episode guys check out our polls uh again we always use our spotify poll here just, just to kind of keep us informed and tracked check out the poll you can really quickly vote whether you have a spotify account or not you can quickly vote and let us know uh, we'll toss in a couple options there. Or if you want to get more specific, I will leave it up to you guys. Normally, I tend to use uh, the uh, the the opinion poll on right. the side and just for character creation ideas. If you guys have a specific barrier in mind, a magical barrier, like uh, Brewmaster Austin said, you know, mountainous terrain or a large, some type of... Like an, some, like an island. Chasm, like an, an island. Think like, think Correct. Like yeah. An island like England. That Correct. Obviously yeah. had big, big, the Alps, Swiss Alps. Yeah. Big barrier. Uh, the River Rhine in mm -hmm. ancient Rome, like with the Germanic tribes. Like, there's a ton of ways for you to draw inspiration and figure out why this kingdom is kind of insulated from internal forays from external forays. Yeah, if you guys want to get specific, get specific, guys. We will leave it up to you guys, and then Brewmaster and Austin and I will take a look and see, what, and we'll bring them all up on topics. But mm -hmm. like you were saying there, Brewmaster Austin, at like Adventurers Levels 1, I would even say 1 through like 5, 6, 7, 8, it's still dealing more internally, internally. within the kingdom of uh, Hersey. So how are we going to more now expand upon that now? Right. What, so now what else can we do? So now we know and I think the easiest way to start internal conflict is to have an issue with succession. I mean, how many oh my great goodness. pop culture shows, House of Dragons, Game of Thrones. I mean, it, you can go on and on. Even The oh Witcher my God. has some of the succession issues going on. I mean, you could just name show after show. Lord of the Rings has succession issues. The Hobbit has succession issues. It is the great way to start an internal conflict that then outside forces take interest in, right? Absolutely. So I think that where we should start is that currently we are in what is called for you uh, kind of more uh, European history nerds out there, a Regency Council. So there is somebody who is not of the ruling dynasty currently ruling because there was left with either no heir or an heir that is not of age or there's some disputed succession with it, right? Very easy. So we've got our Regency Council. And I think that since we made this a dwarf-focused uh, thing, it should be a dwarf who is running this Regency Council. So who Agreed. is the regent, the regent of this? We will say maybe the queen of the former king, or maybe it's a noble from an important faction, a lead advisor, like the hand of the king, if you're going in you know, a more Game of Thronesian way, um, you can call them... Uh, you know, sort of the advisor, the king's advisor, um, anything like that. But I think that they should be dwarven. So, Mo, give me a dwarf. Gargoon. G-A-R-G-U-N. Gargoon. And then here, this is, again, not from the DMG. The DMG does have ways for you to roll character um, 
traits, flaws, things for NPCs. But how I like to do it is I basically go on a spectrum with my D20 roll. So I get a D20. So Mo, why don't you go ahead and grab your handy dandy D20 for me? It's right in front of your screen. He yeah, can't see it nah. because we have an isolation shield. But <laughs> I'm you guys going, know our setup now. <laughs> I am going to have you roll a, a D20 and I will tell you what the important numbers for you, okay? All right. So this is going to be determining their outlook on the world. Negative is going to be anything from one to six. Okay. A neutral is six to 12. Positive is 12 to 20. Okay. Just a general outlook. 16. So they're in a positive outlook of the world. So you can see how that positive outlook might lead them to trust. It might lead them to delegate important tasks to people they think are, are worthy of those tasks. It will allow them to see good in situations that might people might be like, ooh, that's a little bad. Not right? going to lie. I wish I rolled a negative number now. Right. <laughs> but then this is where it comes in. So this is their positive outlook. However, I roll a second D20 to determine something different. Again, this is my own homebrew thing. This is their integrity. Ah. And this is a completely different thing. Okay. So a one to eight, they will sell the integrity down the river for whatever their goal is. For an eight to 13, Nine to 13, you mean? Yeah, nine to 13. Yeah. Nine to 13, they will kind of, eh, they might go back and forth on it. From about a 13 to like a 16, they're pretty integral. They might be something like maybe if they threaten their family, they would shirk it. 16 and above, they are not going to, they will sacrifice everything to keep their honor. Kind of a Ned okay. Starkian character. A very, oh God. Ugh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I like Ned Stark. but I love Ned I mean, But it's still, it was his He's honor that, Fucked it up. was his honor that killed him. Yeah, he should just take control. Sorry, guys. By the way, spoiler. This is now Game of Thrones podcast. Yeah, yeah. Dun dun da da da. All right, hang on. Ooh, a seven. Ooh, so we have a no integrity, but with a positive outlook. Oh. So now we have. So we have. Uh, what? How did you pronounce it again? I want to keep the pronunciation. Gargoon. 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 So we know Gargoon has a positive outlook on life, but is not an integrity-filled person. So you can see how maybe that would allow corruption to go, right? You can see how maybe the master of coin, just to use a term from Game of Thrones since we're on that already, you know, he might be like, uh, I see why it would be beneficial to give the master of coin more power, right? It would be beneficial to the realm. But by doing so, he knows it's going to maybe hurt the lower class a little bit, but he might shirk that integrity almost like Varys from... Uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yeah. He's shirking his own personal honor and integrity for the good of the realm. The realm, which this is, is always Varys' biggest thing. This is oh the, my God, this yeah, that's so good. the ideal character for the good of the realm. Low integrity, but very high outlook. Now, what I want to do is, because I only do this for very important NPCs, and I think this guy as the Regency Council, very important. And so I'm going to have Mole roll a 4d6. So how we do character creation, for those of you who don't know, ooh, you hear it? the sound of Can you hear it? Ah, uh, yes. Clickety-clacks. I mentioned in the last episode, guys, there's something about clickety-clacks. Mind you, Brewmaster Austin grabbed these out of my dice bag, so. Oh, yes. I so, still like joy and well, happiness. How we do character creation, for those of you who haven't done it, is you roll 46 and drop the lowest. You re-roll any ones one time. That's the official way. You can also do point by and... Uh, point spread, but we will talk about those in a character creation episode. We'll do a maybe a bonus episode on like character creation. But what I, how I do it at, at my table is you roll 46, you drop the lowest, and you can re-roll the one until you don't get a one. That's exactly how I do it. Wow, yeah. great minds think alike. Yeah. I literally will do 46, mm-hmm. and then I will say you will re-roll it. You, basically, you're not going to have a one. Now, no. how I'm going to do this is I'm going to go old school AD&D with it, though, because a more newer thought is that you can assign the scores anywhere. Two and one or one, one and one. We're not doing that. We're going to go you old. Are going, we're going old school where the f- numbers you roll is going to go strength, then dex, then con. Then You're going to go straight down the roll? Straight down the roll. Oh. Because it's an NPC and I do not want to improperly, like, flex it, you know, into the into the role that I'm thinking of, right? So I want it to be... The dice are deciding this. We know how this guy operates, right? But how effective he is at it should be determined by the dice. Then uh, biggest question for you, are you going to use uh, racial stats then? 
Uh, we will we will allow them to move the racial still. Okay. Um, we can still do that to kind of maybe if we're like, oh, we're at a 10 for intelligence, he should have a 12. Hildorf will bump it up. But for the main stats, so right. for those again, for those of you, because I know we like to cater to a newer player, when you roll stats, there are two schools of thoughts. You can either go straight down your list of stats. So if you open up a character sheet, you'll see strength, con, dex, all at the top. And you can go straight across, or you can do a kinder DMs like Mo and myself do, and you can roll all of your stats, all six numbers, and assign them where you want with no real thought to it. And it's it just goes on. You make whatever character you want. However, Mo, I need you to give me a strength score, so roll 46. Consider it done, my friend. Here we go. Listen to these clickety-clacks, everybody. Wow. By the way, Brewmaster Austin, check this out. Ready? Mm -hmm. A six, a five, a three, and a four. I'm pretty sure that makes us 15. 15. That's right. Yeah. 15 in strength. So already kind of a striving to the dwarven sort of stereotype of very strong. Give me a deck score. Another 46. Roll the one. Let's go re-roll that. Roll another one. I rolled three ones in a row. Give it again. All right. There we go. Jeez. All right. So we got 13, 16. 16, a very dexterous and strong dwarf. Oh, yeah. Rolling uh, basically a world ender right here. Go ahead and give All me right. a con. <laughs> sure. Constitution, watch this be his dumb stats. Yeah. <laughs> a three. <laughs> I can only hope. All right, another one. All right, let's see what we got here. This one is a little bit lower, though. So we got three, six, nine. Uh, nine and four is 13. 13. Okay, so still... Still pretty Very, good. It's above average. So just to give everyone context while we're in the middle of this, tens across the board is pretty much an average human. Human. That's just a common average human commoner. Commoner, ten across Almost the board. Any commoner, really, but yeah. really. So if you're rolling above ten, you're doing well. Oh or, and wow. I am rolling hot. Hot. Check this out. A six and a five is an eleven. Yep. Four is a fifteen. Eight with an extra three there wow so yeah you, so we got a 15 in intelligence that's insane okay wisdom i'm really rolling you're rolling <laughs> something's gonna be a dumb stat right it has to be it, it cannot to. be constitution at 13 that's actually pretty high con that's a high con yeah we got nine we've got 11 we got 14 14 yeah. for wisdom wow very wise very intelligent you can Please see why they, i think christmas, christmas the last, last one. one. Oh my Could goodness be his dumb stat Please let me roll something under a 10. You always, I'm not saying it's necessary, but man, is it nice. I'm guys, again, I'm shaking them. <laughs> let it be known. <laughs> it's not any better. We've got, oh, uh, let's see here. 14, 16. 16 and three. I want to play this character. Bucket, I don't want to, nope. I'm gonna play this character. I'm the, I'm the councilman. <laughs> I'm the one who sits there. So so here's what we ended up with with our our main regent, right? We have a 15 in strength, a 16 in dexterity, a 13 in con, a 15 in intelligence, a 14 in wisdom, and a 16 in charisma. I want to throw up. Basically, an anime protagonist. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, Only thing missing out of Adam is like, darkness may be my ally, but it will help me smite you down. <laughs> Death is like the wind, always by my side. Boo. League of Legends quote for the day. Oh, God. But, uh, no, so we'll go in now. Uh, before we finish uh, world creation on this segment, I want to establish one last thing. We've got our regent. We've got his stats. We know that he's going to be a crucial player in how the overarching goal conflict or whatever is going on. We do need, why is the country in a regency right now? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a, D, a D6. I use a D6 a lot. Um, and I'm going to have a 1 or a 2 be there's no heir. So they have to decide how to do a new succession line, right? A 3 or a 4, they left heirs, but there's multiple heirs, and there's some questionable... Bastards. Bastards. You're kind of hinting at that, hinting, yeah. Right? Yeah. Or you have the five or a six that the crown of this kingdom was promised in a marriage before the king and queen died. And now there are competing claims for like the queen was like, oh, I'll marry our son off to this kingdom. And the king was like, oh, I'll marry our daughter off to this other kingdom. They didn't talk to each other. They both died. They're like, oh, now we have two kingdoms that have an interest and they haven't decided how to I kind of like five and six, but let's see what we get here. Leave it up to the die. We got a four. 
Oh, we got a so four. So we're rocking some true Game of Thrones. We've got bastard succession going. Yes, Which absolutely. is going to be great. So I'm going to have Mo off the top of his head before we end this creation segment. What is the house name of the ruling family in the kingdom of Hershey? The Smarts. I love it. The smart, obviously, guys. I'm hinting at Smarties. Yeah, guys. Those of you that don't know, I used to own a gas station at so, some point in my illustrious career. So candies are consistently going through my head. So the smart twenty four seven. If you guys see me talking ever or listening to me talk, I'm at minimum thinking about a, a butterfinger. So we know <gasps> like that butterfinger. Those no. are Smarts. the. <laughs> we know that those are the main names that we're going to use when we get into it next time. We're going to flesh out a little bit more of the royal family, get some of that lore going, and then we're going to probably take a shift back in a future episode and really flesh out Caramel and get a little bit more specific on the operations of, of that uh, town. We'll leave uh, the capital of Alamon for much but later. I do believe it is time for final thoughts. Final thoughts. And Mo, I have a great question for you. Yeah, I have a question for you. You dare not ask the king. Uh, you do not ask the king for questions. I'm sorry, go please go ahead. What is a king to a god? What is a god to a non-believer? There you go. <laughs> um, we are, again, not copyrighted. Um, <laughs> sorry, so I took that right out of Team Four Star. I won't what lie. Do you have a favorite monster type and why? So... We're talking, we're talking basically like oozes, devils, demons, things like that. Kind of like aberrations. Mm -hmm. Aberrations to me have always been something that has always been fun with D&D. I mean, if you want to think about it, guys, like the biggest way to describe an aberration, it's a mind flare. <laughs> it's it's so like many other lists, anything like there's that. literally it just go 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 find a list guys alien oh. far realm creatures correct absolutely like you could just be there forever uh slods are also considered uh aberrations uh beholders let's not think about the most one of the most icon if, if it's dungeons and dragons the second thing that comes to your mind is one the big giant it's, it's a beholder still, it's one of the a fun fact it's like one of the only ones that DD still holds like the license to because yep. it's an original gygax creation so yep. it's still like original from like the 70s that this was created but that's very interesting i did i would not have guessed i like aberration i, I like dragons and I, I you were probably thinking devils and i normally tend to like devils because of their like more sadistic nature for the most part but man do i love me some uh like aberration creatures aberration based creatures are so much fun Yep. What about you, Brewmaster Austin? Do you have a preference? Fae. And the reason I like Fae is not fae. necessarily because they have all this fun magic and there's a lot of like unique abilities. No, 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 no. The reason I like Fae is far more simple and far more cool than that. I like Fae because spells like Hold Person don't work on them. Boo. Because that that's doesn't... power gaming brain. They're not you a know. humanoid, baby. You know, you, yeah, that's your power gaming... That's... Guys, remember our metagaming episode? Please make sure to go watch that episode right about now. <laughs> go listen to that episode right here. That's right. Yeah. Getting technical down into it. But with that, I think that is a great place to leave everybody. Oh. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Dungeons & Brews. And again, thank you so much for the support, the questions, the comments. Please keep recommending episodes. It helps us out a ton. Check out all of our wonderful social media. Check out the Discord. Check out the Instagram. We're going to be getting the TikTok roll up and rolling here soon with like some segments and stuff. So we got a lot of things coming down the pipe. But until then, thank you for being part of the pod and part of the brew.